Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast as we continue our discoveries in the gospel according to St. Mark and what he talks about, the gospel of the kingdom. And just a quick review, what we're trying to do in these few broadcasts is encourage families to have the Sunday readings of the gospel in the home throughout this church year. And specifically today, we want to actually narrow it down a little bit and just think, what do we mean when we say gospel? Particularly gospel of Mark, gospel of Matthew, gospel of Luke, what what do we mean by this word? And then the other thing we want to realize is what do we mean by the word evangelize or evangelization? Because if you're looking in the Greek, the noun gospel is the exact same root as the verb to evangelize. They're the same word, euangelion, and the U becomes V when you get it back into English. So to evangelize is to gospelize, is spread the gospel. But what we want to focus on very carefully today is what do we mean by the gospel? And I'm going to give you two key verses from the Gospel of Mark that will begin to open this up. And really, if we really don't understand the beginning of the Gospel of St. Mark, nor if we misunderstand the beginning of the preaching of Jesus, we're going to have a tough time understanding exactly what's going on here. So let's start with the first of those two key verses— Mark 1.1. He's not disguising anything. He's not hiding anything. It's not difficult to find it. Right up in the beginning, St. Mark begins his gospel with this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, that's very important. The second key verse, actually there are a couple of verses, starting with Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Remember, Mark just said in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel. So here comes Jesus, and he's preaching the gospel of God. How's he doing that, or what is he saying? The next verse, chapter 1 and verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the gospel. So, something with the gospel is connected with a fulfillment, at times of fulfillment. Exactly what? Well, there are two key promises in the Old Testament. We discussed this last week. A promise that was made to Abraham about 2000 BC. Abraham, the father of all the faithful, was promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And then the second promise was made to King David about 1000 BC. King David was king over Israel. And a promise between, as you forge these two promises together between Abraham and David, 
that the coming descendant of Abraham and David would be the Messiah, who would be the king of Israel, who would simultaneously be king of the world. And so when Jesus came on the scene, it says the time is fulfilled. It's the fulfillment of those two key promises. And there's other promises in the Old Testament. Those were two key ones. And so if it's fulfilling what? Because the kingdom is at hand. It's the time of fulfillment. Believe the gospel. So the gospel has something to do with Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And we kind of spiritualize that and to mean something like, uh, I don't know what, he's a great king and heaven has nothing to do with life on earth. That's the very opposite of what that means. Okay, when Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, it means that God's rule and reign, which is forever fully acknowledged in heaven, is coming to earth. That's the point. Okay, so if I were to ask you, just write me a sentence or two, or if you were to ask your children this year as you go through the Gospel of Mark, what does the word gospel mean? Now, as many of you know, I was an evangelical Protestant for about 20 years, and if you would ask me that, I said, well, the gospel, that's what St. Paul preached. That was the plan of salvation. You know, God created us, we rebelled, we're sinful, we stand under God's judgment, and we raise our hand in a crusade and get saved. That's the gospel. And everything about that, there's great elements and everything. The conversion experience is good, needed, necessary. But that's not exactly what we mean by the gospel. Ask a Catholic, what do we mean by the gospel? Well, that's the book that's, uh, that they read out of on Sunday. Well, that's the book that contains the gospel, but what does the word gospel itself mean? Some Catholics running around saying, well, that means the latest uh, plan for implementing socialism in our country or something like that. It's whatever we kind of attach to it. We've attached our own meanings. And I suggest to you that both Protestants and Catholics need to derive a meaning of the word gospel, which is key to Jesus's first words, believe the gospel, key to the very first sentence in the gospel of Mark, the beginning of the gospel. We can't just attach our notions to the word gospel and then kind of go from there. What we want to do is derive our meaning from the scriptures themselves, not our own hunches. Now, if you want a key verse, I mean a really key verse, to understand what gospel means, you go to Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. And I realize I gave this to you last week, but this is so incredibly important because I dare say that if you ask over 90% of Protestants and Catholics, what the word gospel means, they would say something other than what is found in Isaiah 52, 7, and that's where all this comes from, okay? And remember, this also applies to the new evangelization, because to evangelize is to gospelize. It's to preach the gospel, and so the new evangelization isn't just going around talking about Jesus in a way that kind of suits our fancy. It's proclaiming the message that God is basically given to us through the apostles, and we're to convey today in its fullness, with its 
And if, otherwise, we're not going to have the full impact. Anyhow, I'm getting ahead of myself. Isaiah 52.7 says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings. Uh, in the Old Testament that was translated to Greek, that good tidings is the Greek word for gospel. Euangelion. How beautiful are the feet who brings the gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good tidings of good. This is repeating again, gospel, gospel, gospel in the original Greek Old Testament, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, three words, get these three words, your God reigns. That's the essence of the gospel. Your God reigns. Now, these aren't angels going around heaven declaring this. Uh, Certainly in heaven at this moment, Jesus Christ is seated on a throne. In fact, his very robe says, King of kings and Lord of lords. But to announce the gospel, the people's feet are on earth. And they're taking the word around that God reigns. Now, this is what it's talking about, that the Jewish descendant of Abraham and David would be king of Israel and, and I underline and, and king of all the world. That's what the gospel is. Now, that derives directly from the scriptures. And just in case you're wondering, I didn't think this up while on a walk last night. Uh, Some of the leading scripture scholars in the world, like Dr. N.T. Wright, uh, exactly where he'll put you to find out what gospel means. And he says, a lot of our thinking today about what exactly the gospel is isn't derived from the scriptures. And he takes us right back to Isaiah 52, 7, just like I just did with you. In addition to the scriptural background of this, the Jewish background of this, remember that St. Mark was basically summarizing in written form for us the gospel that St. Peter was proclaiming in Rome. And Rome, the city of Rome, was the seat of the empire, the seat of Caesar, who proclaimed to be king of kings, who said he was a son of the gods, who announced himself, and the word gospel in the Roman Empire could be the announcement of a new Caesar ascending to the throne, or the word gospel could be the announcement of a great general winning a military battle. It was a royal, kingly empire type of announcement. And so here's St. Peter with Mark tagging along, going around Rome, announcing a gospel, another gospel, not about Caesar, but about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I can't tell you how revolutionary this is. And this isn't revolutionary in the sense that St. Paul and St. Mark and St. Peter were going around trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. They recognized civil government. Uh, They weren't radical libertarians, but they did say that there was somebody above everybody, and that was King Jesus, okay? King Jesus. Now, 
in case you're just thinking, well, this is just a coincidence that uh, St. Peter was in Rome, guess who else was in Rome and wrote to Rome? St. Paul. And if you look, that's in St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, he begins with Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be a, an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. How about that? Knowing in the depths, in the very fiber of your being, that you were made to proclaim the gospel of God. And it says the gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Basically, the Old Testament is a promise of this coming king. The New Testament is the gospel, the announcement that the king was here in person. Verse 3 of Romans 1, the gospel concerning his son descended from David and designated, verse 4, son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. If you want to know that Jesus is categorically different, better, and more exalted than Caesar, uh, he rose from the dead. That's good confirmation that he is the true son of God from heaven, the true king over all kings on earth. And then after his resurrection from the dead, he was designated Jesus Christ as our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, Canada, Australia, Japan, France, the United States, England, Germany, Russia, China, you name it. This is the one, Son of God, and the gospel announces that he is the great king destined to be king of the world. St. Paul then goes on a little later in chapter 1, starting in verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why is he eager? Because Paul knows that Jesus is not only king of Israel, but God's promise, particularly with Abraham, that it would embrace all peoples on the world, is eager to take the announcement that this Jewish Messiah is king of the world. And he says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who has faith. Now, I'm giving you a lot of Romans, but hang, hang on with me here because this, this is critical. Romans chapter 10, so often quoted, at least in my evangelical days, out of context. I want to put it right into context. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, and, and you notice basically we've already emphasized it's the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. We're In proclaiming the gospel, we're saying Christ is Lord over this whole planet. Here's what St. Paul says. Romans 10:13 and following For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved but how are men to call upon him in whom they have not believed how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without a preacher here comes the zinger and how can men preach unless they are sent 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. In Greek, how beautiful are the feet of them who preach euangelion, the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Now, where exactly did that last sentence come from? It came from Isaiah 52, 7. If you want to know what compelled this apostle to go through the Roman Empire and have this great longing to go to the heart of the empire, it was because of the gospel. That's why he existed, he realized. He was born to preach the gospel. He was converted to preach the gospel. He wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel. And what is that? It comes from Isaiah 52, 7. Your God reigns. That's where the beautiful feet passage comes from. So the one gospelizing with good news, what is he saying? Your God reigns. The God of Israel is now God of the world, Lord of the world. Now listen to this, because we're going to start to try to bring this home. And this is where these kind of uh, abstract notions of the gospel kind of have a hard time sinking into modern life. People, and I'm talking about Christian people, without an explicit allegiance to Jesus as the sovereign king of men and nations, have not been fully evangelized. Because to evangelize, as I've described, to evangelize is in Greek as saying the same thing as to gospelize. And the heart of the gospel, according to St. Paul, Isaiah 52, 7 is the declaration of God as king. So unless an individual person, unless a particular nation has a, an allegiance, a faith, an obedience in faith allegiance to Jesus Christ as king, they have not been fully evangelized. And many preachers and priests and teachers throughout Protestantism and Catholicism are missing the big picture of the gospel and evangelization. Now, I'm a red-blooded American. I love this country. But let me be blunt. Just saying that we are one nation under God, while it's a terrific start, is not complete. It is not enough. Since the first century, A.D., to say one nation under God and think that's nice. It is nice, don't get me wrong, but it's not enough. The gospel hasn't penetrated unless it says one nation under King Jesus Christ. This is what this whole modern age is supposed to be about. St. Paul goes further about this. Philippians chapter 2 said Christ humbled himself became obedient unto death. Therefore, God highly exalted him, highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, not a generic name, small G-O-D or capital G-O-D, but the name, Jesus, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, at the name of Jesus, not 
generic God at the name of Jesus. Every knee, every ruler, every individual, every nation under earth has to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You say, I, I haven't heard this lately. I know. Uh, basically, ever since the French Revolution, the modern world has come unhinged and has progressively lost sight of something as simple as the gospel. Uh, we'll say Jesus is king of my heart. That's absolutely true. But if that's all it is, that's not the fullness of the truth. To say Jesus is king of the church is absolutely true. But to leave it there is not the fullness of the truth. Because in essence, he is king of the world, including civil governments. You're thinking, come on now, civil governments? Yes. Have you ever heard of the encyclical Quas Primus? Now, I just pause here a minute and let you know, I, I really enjoy visiting the Daughters of St. Paul bookstores. There's one down in Charleston, and if it's during business hours, I like to make my way in there. And one of my favorite things to do in a Daughters of St. Paul bookstore is to go to the encyclical rack and just spin it around and buy two or three encyclicals. I think it's a great idea to just read encyclicals. It's kind of a, a bite-sized uh, collection of truth you can take home and one sitting or two can get through an encyclical. But I challenge you, go to a Daughters of St. Paul bookstore and flip that encyclical rack around and around and around and look for Quas Primus, the 1925 encyclical by Pope Pius XI on the kingship of Christ. Um, might be hard to find it. Fortunately, you can go to EWTN.com and their library of encyclicals and put in the kingship of Christ or Quas, Q-U-A-S, Primus, P-R-I-M-A-S, and you will see the encyclical on the kingship of Christ. And what I was saying so far in this broadcast, while it may sound strange to your ears, is not strange to this encyclical, which has more or less been forgotten just since 1925. Now, bringing it home to our beloved country, our Constitution is a beloved document, but it does need one amendment. You probably didn't hear this in school, even if you went through law school and studied constitutional law, but in 1874, 1896, 1910, 1954, and in 1962, after the Supreme Court declared that prayer in school was unconstitutional. How about that? It's unconstitutional. Any case, as a result of the Civil War, even in fact while the Civil War was going on, many leaders in this country, uh, both famous preachers, professors, U.S. senators, jurists, felt something was wrong. And they went back and took a careful look at the Constitution, and they felt that a critical amendment to it needed to be made, a very critical amendment. And that amendment needed to add to the preamble of the Constitution of the United States the following. And again, this, is, this has been uh, introduced multiple times. The last time was in 1962. It's been forgotten since then. But here's what the preamble that was proposed, how it went. Quote, we the people of the United States 
humbly acknowledging Almighty God as the source of all authority and power in civil government, the Lord Jesus Christ as the ruler among nations, has revealed his will as the supreme law of the land in order to constitute a Christian government and in order to form a more perfect union, and then the Constitution proceeds. This suggestion, this suggested amendment uh, to acknowledge explicitly Jesus Christ as Lord, is what the gospel is proclaiming, was presented to Abraham Lincoln while he was president. He responded, quote, the general aspect of your movement I cordially approve. But he did say he wanted time to look it over and you shouldn't be basically quick to pass a constitutional amendment, and I agree with that. But unfortunately, he was assassinated just 11 months later. This never went very far. The president of Wheaton College in the 1874 assembly that presented this predicted that if the Christian amendment failed, he said, no state law could withstand a suit to the Supreme Court. The conflict of law is inevitable and irrepressible. Our laws will be heathenized or our Constitution Christianized. Think of it. No state law will withstand a suit to the Supreme Court. You know, the state of South Carolina, where I'm speaking to today, passed legislation defending traditional marriage. And yet a federal judge, and now it's on its way to the U.S. Supreme Court, our law, our godly law, defending traditional marriage, is about to be heathenized. It already has been heathenized by a federal court. This was predicted uh, back in 1874. And one another of the speakers at this convention proposing the amendment said, one by one, your Christian laws and all the Christian features of state constitutions must come to the test of the Constitution of the United States, and they must fall before it. I dare say what we need to do is, in the new evangelization, preach the gospel that Jesus Christ is king of men and of nations. St. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Unfortunately, a lot of people who are doing public speaking of the gospel are ashamed of this aspect of the gospel. It's time to get past it. St. Paul also said the gospel is the power of God. We never know what will happen because the simple announcement by any ordinary person of the truth that Jesus Christ is king conveys with it supernatural power to draw men and nations to the obedience of Christ. You've been listening to episode 61 of Faith and Family. Visit us on the web at familylifecenter.net or dads.org. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.